Welcome to the Disney Wedding Podcast, brought to you by Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons, the only guidebook and bridal organizer tailored exclusively to Disney's fairy tale weddings. I'm your host, Carrie Hayward. Each week I feature a different aspect of Disney weddings, from the latest news, information, and money-saving tips, to interviews with wedding vendors and real Disney brides and grooms. I also cover honeymoons, anniversaries, and engagements at the Disney parks and resorts. Join me now as the Disney Wedding Podcast celebrates romance at Disney destinations worldwide. Today on the Disney Wedding Podcast, we are talking all about the first dance at the wedding or the vow renewal or the commitment ceremony. A lot of couples are nervous about this. Some of them take dance lessons. Some of them aren't sure if they should take dance lessons, and they don't know maybe what their options are. So today, I wanted to talk to an expert, Alfred, who is the owner of Your Wedding Dance in Miami, Florida, and he has many years of experience turning inexperienced brides and grooms into wonderful dance for their wedding receptions. Welcome, Alfred. Hello. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Can you start off by telling me a little bit about your company and how you got started teaching dance for weddings? Sure. The company is, was formed in uh, 2000 and specifically uh, to help betrothed couples achieve a first dance with ease. And so we have foregone everything else uh, in the way of teaching people how to dance to focus strictly on the bridal industry. Oh, that's interesting. So I guess you have a lot of business just doing weddings. We only do weddings, and we always like to have more business. But yes, <laughs> we tend to stay fairly busy and uh, as a result have our calendars working in four-month cycles so that... Uh, we space out our classes and uh, work throughout the three counties in Florida, which are Miami-Dade, Broward, and the Palm Beaches. Interesting. Okay. So now, sometimes the first dance is kind of an afterthought for couples. Can you talk a little bit about why they might want to prepare by taking dance lessons? Well, there are three or four different reasons what would propel a couple to uh, decide to take dance lessons. The first one is fear. <laughs> <laughs> the other one is to uh, get some special choreography if they want to do something on the more extraordinary, a la Dancing with the Stars. Uh, the third one is sort of to take away that awkward feeling when they hold each other in, in their arms, uh, not being familiar. And the other one is to surprise their friends and family. When you're out there all by yourself, it can be pretty daunting to have, you know, one, two, three, four, five hundred eyes peering at you. So fear is the number one motivator because it certainly isn't about learning how to dance. Interesting. Now, if a couple is thinking about taking dance lessons for their wedding, how soon should they start? We recommend a four-month window. And the reason we do that is because actually learning the dance or the moves is really, really the simplest thing. That's the easiest thing. Again, because the methodology that we've employed in teaching couples how to do a first dance is nothing like taking dance lessons. And so the biggest challenge they would have is retention. And that only comes from allotting plenty of time to practice to build those what we call muscle memories. 
So we recommend a four-month period. They actually can take as little as a two-hour crash course. And Florida is a huge destination place for weddings. So we literally get people from out of the country and out of state that absolutely get here the week of, two days before, and so on and so forth. So we have uh, designed a very special methodology to accommodate a two-hour crash course. Most of the classes, most of the couples take three hours. That's it. It's in and out. And they learn something that's easy to dance to. They tell us what their song is, and we will accommodate the choreography to match the lyrics of the music, which is another point because lyrics are very important. Occasionally, a couple will just simply like the music, but not pay too much attention to the lyrics. And that can sometimes be pretty inappropriate. So they do have to kind of watch out and make sure that the lyrics are appropriate for a first dance. Now, that's an interesting point. Are there any other criteria that they should look for when they're choosing their song, like maybe the tempo or the length of it? Yes. Interestingly enough, you have to understand that couples come for help simply because not only don't they know are they concerned about their ability to dance, but there are also other aspects that they don't even think about, and it's our job to make them aware of it, such as the tempo and the length, because couples can choose a song. After all, music is made on two points, one for listening, one for dancing. Oftentimes, they may choose a song that's a very, very slow ballad, and the only reason they chose that song is because they think slower is easier, when in fact, slower is much more difficult. So if the tempo is too slow, it requires a greater balance on one side of the body. As an example, walking very slow is much more strenuous than walking briskly. So when you're shopping in a mall and just perusing, it can take a lot out of you if you're just not really going at a tempo or a gait. So dancing is pretty much the same thing. Uh, And so if we do get a song, whose tempo is very, very slow, we will use the software that we have to make it a danceable beat without affecting the vocals so they don't sound either like chipmunks or on breaks. <laughs> there are lots of things that enter into uh, the decision-making or choices of, of, of a first dance. It's not only the music, it's how to be video and audience friendly when you're doing your dance. So that you want to orient the couple so when they get to their reception site, they kind of have marked the floor visually. And oftentimes, we'll go to the reception site itself and do the class there. There's a huge help for the couple because the night that they do their dance, they actually will own the floor. They will understand how to come in, where to begin, where to end, and generally have an awareness of their uh, environment, which is really important. As an entertainer and performer, I personally have never gone and done a show without marking the dance floor on stage first. These are all really interesting points. Following on that idea of really preparing, maybe even preparing in the actual space that you're going to use if possible, are there simpler techniques for people who are acknowledged they have two left feet, they're intimidated by these elaborate first dances they've seen on YouTube, they don't think they could ever dance. What are the techniques to help people like that? Well, we've developed a methodology specifically designed for ease of learning and dancing a first dance. 
as I mentioned earlier, in as little as a two-hour crash course, because the objective is, again, lucky for them, it's not about learning how to dance. So it's quite easy to demystify this dancing within the first three or four minutes when they walk in. What you do is you throw out the letters D-A-N-C-E and employ the letters we're very familiar with, which is W-A-L-K. And walking is the operative. It's not about dancing. To learn to dance, you need a lifetime. But to accomplish a first dance is the simplest thing that you can do because the fears that they bring with them are based on perception of what they see on the shows of So You Think You Can Dance or Dancing with the Stars or Clubs or whatever. And so, you know, they come in with those fears. But again, it's demystified really quickly because, I mean, the first thing that we would do, the first thing I do is put their song on and just tell them to go ahead and do whatever they want to do. Because it's not a test about danceability, it's a test about how they interpret the music. And everybody has rhythm. Because not to have rhythm is a handicap, which will not allow them to actually walk. Interesting. Yeah, it's just that people interpret rhythm in different ways. So to to bring it all home, it's about the simplicity of which, because we use what already exists within a couple, We don't mold them. We don't change them. There isn't enough time for that. And this is not the time in their lives when they want to take dance lessons. You want to stick to the task at hand, have them learn that first dance and be comfortable. And the reason that they want to do that and the reason we urge them as professionals to do that, again, it's not about the learning how to dance. If they have a plan, the audience disappears. If they don't have a plan, The only thing they can focus on are those 600 eyes. Interesting. So having a plan is huge, and it arms them with with the ability to go forward with this with very little trepidation. When they came in with such fears, they leave confident, absolutely confident. That's great to hear. Okay, so they have their plan. Do you have any tips for them if when they get up there, all of a sudden, stage fright, what are some things? Is it like, imagine the audience naked? What are your tips and tricks? It's quite simple. What we do is what I've done is I always create what I call an anchor move. That anchor move is what they fall back on to rescue them. It gives them a chance to breathe, gives them a chance to think, gives them a chance to collect themselves. And what that means is they don't stop and freeze and stand still like I did on my very first dance contest. <laughs> So what happens is the audience doesn't know or care about your choreography. They don't care what happens from the neck down. They care about what happens from the neck up. People are in love that night. Not only is the couple in love, but the entire room is in love with the couple. Could they do anything wrong? I doubt it. So the point is that if they have one single move, which I call an anchor move, it keeps the momentum going so they don't stand still. And that one movement will help them through to get to the next step because it comes back. It's just a momentary thing. That's wonderful. 
So now, based on what you've told me so far, it sounds like you probably don't encourage couples to do wildly elaborate things that are sort of out of their normal wheelhouse, so to speak. But there has been a trend recently of doing, say, choreographed dances down the aisle during the ceremony. Are there other unique ways to incorporate dance in the ceremony or the reception? Absolutely. And by the way, when the couple comes and decides that they want to do something uh, out of the ordinary, out of the box, or a little bit more extraordinary, you have to have a very frank conversation with them and explain that you mean they impose time constraints. And within those time constraints, there is only so much that you can do. And not only that, it's really our job to make sure they understand not to become overwhelmed with this process. This is a process that should be pleasurable. This is not meant to be work. You're not meant to be stressed out. You have enough stress going on, preparing for the wedding as a whole. So dancing is a pleasurable thing. But one of the things that you can do relatively easily, which provides sort of a mini show, is quite entertaining, is taking the bridal party and creating a formation dance, which is really, really interesting and which can develop out of their own first dance so that there's interaction between all those people. But as far as the individual couple is concerned, you can create an awful lot of interest without being overwhelmed with figures and choreography and all that. You can do that just with music by creating a medley, which is often done, which uh, it starts off with a very slow, romantic, mushy kind of song for maybe 30 seconds and then pops into something of very high energy, totally different and kind of shocks the audience, which is what you see a lot of YouTube videos on, where they're doing uh, Michael Jackson stuff or hip-hop moves and things like that. But interestingly enough, what non-dancers don't understand is that it's never what you do, it's always how you do it, period. That's interesting. That's the long and short of it. (laughs) So now it sounds like you guys have a very specific way of teaching that acknowledges that most couples are not going to want to learn an entire discipline of dance. They just need to learn enough to look good at their weddings. So with that in mind, what other kinds of things should couples be looking for when they choose a dance teacher or a dance school? Because they aren't learning comprehensive rumba. They just need what they need for their wedding. Exactly. The important things to look for are, are you getting what you're paying for? That really is the answer to most things people purchase, whether it's dance lessons or anything else. But in this particular case, because dancing is such an intimate sport, you're a little bit more selective. It's important to get along with the people that you're working with or that are working with you. But I would say of the things that are tangible and important, because after all, you can't touch, smell, or feel dancing. Mm -hmm. It's about, are we getting a private lesson that is one-on-one, without sharing the private lesson in a room of six other private lessons so that there are six different couples in six different corners of the room. And then just because you have a teacher with you, that's not really private. A, you can't focus on your music because you'll be listening to somebody else's song. And you don't have that kind of personalized attention. Most people who take dance lessons for the first time in their lives are extremely self-conscious. They don't want an audience. You know, that's the reason they come to you is because they have a concern about having the audience at their wedding. 
So they don't want to start with that. The other criteria is if I'm buying 60 minutes worth of time, am I getting 60 minutes worth of time? Because in many, many cases, the lesson stops at 45 minutes. The next 15 minutes are about the next schedule and this and that and the other thing. Are we getting a full hour of instruction? The other thing is, you know, location. Where are you relative to where I come from? I don't want to be traveling 25 or 30 miles to you. Hmm. I want something that's reasonably close to me. Will you come to my home? Will you come to my reception site? Will you provide a video of our class at the end of each class? We at Your Wedding Dance do all of those things. We will come to you without extra charge. There's no traveling charge. We will edit your music because we don't want your music to be longer than about two and a half minutes. We will work 24-7. That happens to be the nature of the business. It's about providing 100 plus percent of service. It's much more than just teaching somebody their first dance. And of course, to have the expertise to do that is critical as well, of course, because you're dealing with people that know absolutely nothing about dancing. And now in two hours to three hours, not that we don't also teach for 10 hours in intervals, you know, week intervals, but mostly the norm is three hours. Hmm. And most people don't understand that. How can that be done? come to your wedding dance, we'll show you how it's done. <laughs> it's pretty easy. It's actually pretty easy. Of course, you're listening to 50, that's five zero years of experience. So that's a lot of years. Well, that's you want somebody who's really experienced. <laughs> right, exactly. So then, this is all really great information. Do you have any other last tips or advice for someone who is considering doing a choreographed first dance? It's important that both agree to take the lessons. Ah, yes. Yeah, don't force the other to take dance lessons. If they're adamant about not taking lessons, that's not a good start. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this has to be, people have to be in agreement. And I have to say that that is almost 100% of the, of the case. And interestingly enough, there are more men inquiring than there are women these days, huh. which is really quite different than in the past. Not that there aren't actually more women, but there are an awful lot of men that are making the phone call or inquiring online. That's definitely a no-no because that will be a terrible experience. And, well, we won't take them because, you know, we're, we're not in the business of policing huh. <laughs> couples having arguments and things like that. So that's, that's not our thing. But in, in almost all cases, of course, they all agree. But that's my very first question is, how does your fiancé feel about joining you in this trip? on this ride. Interesting. If I may just add one other little note, which has to do with handicapped people. It is our policy as an example to happily help two types of people. One, people who are in the service, who come through our, our program at no cost whatsoever to prepare them for the first dance as well as any form of handicap. And we have helped people who have had no hearing, no sight, and no legs on wheelchairs. So it has always been our policy. And I say this because in particular with regards to the handicapped person 
who is very, very reticent. They have any number of issues that would prevent them from taking advantage of that. Oftentimes, they have to be really coaxed. I've had an individual that I approached at one of the uh, bridal functions, and I gave him my card, and I asked him to please call, that I could help him. And it took him till the last week of his wedding. I had contacted him months and months before, before he got the courage to actually call and come. And once they're there, of course, it's a wonderful experience for them, but not nearly as wonderful as it is for myself. So that is a point I would like to make. People should not be afraid. Hopefully they will have the courage to take advantage of something as memorable as a first dance, and in particular for the people that are handicapped. So I just wanted to make sure I got that in because I think that's really important. Definitely. Yeah, no, that's a wonderful point, and I'm glad you brought that up. So is there some place my listeners can go to learn more about your company? Well, of course, they can go to our website, www.ywdance.com, which is simply an acronym for your wedding dance. Not only can they just read about our services, but they can review actual practice videos of actual students to see what they go through. They can also listen to live comments about our services and how they felt about the experience. And they should, if at all possible, talk to their friends who've gotten married and who have used the services of people helping them prepare for their first dance. And we do get a lot of recommendations. Of course, those are the best kind. That's great. Well, Alfred, this is wonderful information. I think you've provided a lot of things for couples to think about that they might not ordinarily consider and that if they do start to look for these things when they're selecting a teacher, they will have a much better experience. So I really appreciate your taking the time to speak with me today. Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you inviting me on this interview. That's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, be sure to rate the Disney Wedding Podcast on iTunes so that others will find it. You can also send your comments, questions, and suggestions to info at DisneyWeddingPodcast.com. Past shows are available in iTunes and on the show's website. And for instant answers to all your Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings questions, check out Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons Guide, available as an interactive ebook with continual free updates at Passporter.com weddings.asp or in print at Passporter.com and Amazon.com.